Welcome to the secret life of celebrity pets with me, Darren Kennedy. Each week, we'll go behind the closed doors of some famous faces and into the pampered world of celebrity pets. This week, my guest is the founder and CEO of Trini London, Trini Woodall. Trini shot to fame in the early 2000s when she hosted the incredibly popular BBC series, What Not To Wear. Since then, she's gone on to maintain her position not only as a presenter, broadcaster, but as a beauty entrepreneur with her innovative cosmetic line, Trini London. In this episode, Trini talked to me about her Parsons Terrier, Lily, who she revealed is technically her daughter's dog, but she loves her just the same. She told me how they first found the gorgeous Lily and how she stole their hearts. This is The Secret Life of Celebrity Pets. Do you know what? It's fun. so good to see you, Trini. And there's, a, there's an Irish expression, which you may or may not know, and it's kind of like, you're some woman for one woman, right? You really are. You epitomize that. But I kind of like to think that behind every great woman is a great pet. And it turns out in your case, it's Lily. It's Lily. Yeah, she is. She's just, she's sort of Lila's dog, uh, my daughter's dog. And I had, you know, I have had a long history with pets. But um, when we got Lily, my favorite dog in the entire world, let me cover Lily's ears, was called Honey. And Honey was an Alsatian cross with a Whippet and a Manchester Terrier. And my mum used to run what was called the NCD, National Canine Defence League, and became Dogs Trust which is a charity for dogs. And she was a chairman of it for years. Really? And it was like in our household that we would never, ever, ever, ever have a pedigree dog. You always had to adopt. It's like, if you didn't adopt, you were not invited to the, to the lunch table. Okay. So Honey was from a rescue in Newbury and she was incredible. She was like the cleverest dog ever. I can tell you so many dog stories about Honey, which are just mesmerizing. Um, and then when Honey was very old, and Lily and Lila was very small. Honey was quite big for her. And she went, Mama, please can I have a little dog? And I'd never been a little dog person, Darren, ever. But then we went and Johnny, which was Lila's dad, and I went looking and we found this little Lily um, in Shepherd's Bush in a home where the parents wanted to just get rid of the dog. So I kind of, in my mind, could convince myself, this is like a rescue situation. It's so, pretty much is. It pretty much is. So then when, um, when she, my, you know, I took her around to my mother's and my mother said, well, where was she from? Was she from a rescue home? And I said, nearly, you know, she was from, she needed to be rescued from a family. She is so gorgeous. Just look at her there. So what age is, is Lily? And she's a crossbreed, I'm presuming, is she? She's a Parson Terrier. So if you look at her full on, Mills, one second, full on, there she is. She's, she's a Parson Terrier. And Parsons are really like Jack Russells, but they are slightly, I think, a little bit taller legs. A lot of people say that they're not really any different, but there was a Parson, um, Russell, I mean Parson, who, who bred these kind of Jack Russell slightly different things. And that's why I think they're called Parson Terriers. She's, she's very lovable, I have to say. So did you say she's 11 years old? 11, yeah. I am laughing here because you're like, I'm, I generally don't like small dogs. And I'm looking at Lily going, she's pretty big in comparison to Harry. Well, in comparison to Harry, Harry she certainly is. But she's, <laughs> one thing Lila and I always say is Lily really knows how to smile. You know, she, she's a smiling dog. She and didn't lick it off a stone. Oh, she's like, she, <laughs> she knows how to smile. But I'm getting a sense that she's a very sociable dog. So you bring her to the workplace, right? Like we see her photo, we see her bombing your lives and stuff like that. She does, she does hang around a bit. She's very, I mean, I'll tell you what she is, which is what a lot of dogs I would call who are colonels are, 
is she, like Colonel Rosemary Coke was one of the founding members of the Dogs Trust, by the way, and he was this next door neighbor of ours. But she's a colonel, so if she's in the park, if there's a big dog, she's after it. Row, 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 row. And if it's a well. dog, she ignores <laughs> it. And then like some dogs, like in lockdown, um, we go to the Royal um, Hospital, uh, which is the um, Chelsea Pensioners, and there's a little garden there, just so people know who are dog lovers. There's a garden there, and you can take your dog without being on the lead. Nice, nice. So we'd go there and then Lily from, and there's only ever about five or six people in the garden. And then Lily will see, if she sees any other dog, she might be interested. But if she sees a Jack Russell or a Parson Terrier, she identifies immediately it's one of her own. And she'll run up bounding and she'll never bark at them and she'll always go high. And it's like dogs do identify their own breed. Do you think, sure. do you think humans are a little bit like that? Do you think we kind of like to, you know, gravitate towards our own? I think the opposites are so much more entertaining and exciting than the ones who we feel we reflect in each other's, um, you know, shadow or light, however you look at it. So I kind of, my life is populated with many opposites and I kind of love that. Uh, tell me about Lily and the workplace because for some people, it's an absolute dream to be able to bring their dog in. For some yeah. employees, and I know you have a good 70 or 80 people working for you at the moment, which is incredible, by the way. Do they all appreciate Lily's company in the office? Lily has had a mixed relationship with the team because we used to be in a very small house. And because we were a very tiny company, we felt we couldn't move yet because we couldn't justify a bigger office. So in this two-bedroom house, where in the end I had to move out because it was just the office, um, there were up to 18 people working. I mean, I would have meetings with my bank manager sitting on the loo in the bathroom. Oh. And Lily, whenever the doorbell went, would bark and bark and bark. So those founding members of the Trinity London team were like, Lily! Lily! Like this, because it was like, you know, they'd be on a call trying to sound really professional, like, wow, 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 like this. So... That was, and then we, when we started to then have appointments so people could come and have an appointment to try the product at um, our sort of studio there, then it was a nightmare and then Lily, Lily was not allowed to come to the office. Now the office is bigger. We've got two offices, but one office is open plan, about two and a half thousand square feet. And Lily has days when she comes and she has friends there. And then she has people who want to be her friend. And then she has people who don't give a damn about her and she wants to be their friend. So I she'll kind of put around the office when it's lunchtime, we feed everyone in the office. So the kitchen, which is an open plan thing, is a very interactive part of our office. And so she's always hanging around the kitchen or she's got two baskets. One is the sofa. Uh, no, she's got three baskets. She's got two sofas she loves, which people go on. And then she has a, a basket, which actually sits within social media because I'm in and out of the office. And then if she's around that day, she sits around the people she knows. So a couple of things there. A, when we're back to normal, can I come in for lunch? into Trinity oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yeah. um, and the other thing is, I, I think Harry and, and Lily share many similarities in the sense that if someone tries too hard to be his friend, he's like, no, no, not interested. And it's kind of like, I think he's intrigued by the people who like make him work and make him work for a little bit more. Do you know, I was thinking about, you know, oftentimes people say that, you know, dog owners and their dogs in particular, you know, have similarities. People will say, me and Harry, it's the hair. And I, I was thinking about you, and I was going to go on dogs, and I'm sure Lily is like, 
every other dog at that. They're such pack animals. Like they're at their happiest when they're with their pack. And in, I guess in the human sense, it's community. And you have done such an excellent job on building up your, your uh, Trini tribe. Interesting analogy, but I think that life to me, and when I started Trini London, Darren, I really, what I love the most is that community that's grown out of it. Because you can build a brand but a brand has to have a heart. So I'm the sort of spearheader of the brand because it's, you know, my DNA. It's everything that I want to be in these products is, is in them. And, every, you know, every little from building the stack to designing the pots to the colors, everything. But there's kind of, um, you know, once, it, once it's launched, there's a community of people who love it. And then that community ultimately is going to be the ones like you have with Kennedy and co who are just your strongest advocates. And some of them might just love you. So some of them might watch you on television, Darren, and they've never bought Kennedy and co. And some of them have bought Kennedy and co. So I think the same applies to Trini London. Some of our Trini tribe have never bought Trini London products, but they like the community spirit of what the Trini tribe is. And it gives them new friendships and an added plus and bonus to their online life and offline because they meet up. And like people I don't know who are part of the Trini tribe, whenever you will mention me, will get yeah. in touch with me or will stop me in the street going, Trini, Trini was talking about you today. I'm like, and out of context, I'm like, all right, okay, okay. So like, it's quite phenomenal because like, to, you know, a lot of brands aspire to build a community. Was it something yeah. that you actively engaged in or was it just, did it happen? And then you realized it was happening and you were like, we need to develop this. With the actual Trini tribe, there was a lady in Northwest England who started, she called Kelly, and she started a Trini tribe and she just followed me on, on Instagram. And I don't even know if we'd launched Trini London yet or not, but she just kind of, you know, liked what I was talking about. And people joined who also liked watching me. So it was born out of that. And I think it was at, at the same time as, as I was launching or very soon before and very soon after. So it was not really in a way to do with Trini, the company, it was more to do with me. And then out of that, one thing, she wants to see Lila. Oh, look at her. She's talking to her mommy. Uh, do you know what? People will never believe me when I say that Harry has like a vocab. Like it's very limited, but he does just like that. Anyway. So, so I think that in answer to your question, this community has, has kind of grown up with, with the brand. And there's, you know, 35 Trini tribes around the world. Some have 50 members, some have... 4,000 members, and they all have this thing in common. They all have this sense of that passion. When I came to Ireland, when I came to Dublin, Darren. I was away as well. I missed you. And it was so incredible because I came to do one week and we took a house in Merrion Square. I hope we can do it again. But um, we just didn't know how many people come. And within literally, we launched it saying we were coming and there's appointments. There were like 1,700 appointments. In a day, they sold out. And then... We painted the door yellow and it was pissing with rain so many days, but the amount of people who just said, can I just come? And then we did a series of things. We did something with your namesake, Louise Kennedy. We did a wonderful evening with her, amazing woman. And we did, these girls mean business. So I did the lady who runs Vodafone in Ireland, who was so inspiring and just met these incredible women. And because Dublin is such a community, Literally by the end of the week, I felt there was nobody in Dublin who hadn't heard of Trini London. Because these women, like, there's a generosity of spirit. They love something and they feel passionate and they want to share it. 
And that's, that's like, a- that's my perfect sense of a community. And I did this shout out before I was going. And we had a quite, we had a reasonable size Trini tribe. All right? We had a, like, I don't know, 300, 280 members in Dublin. So I said, I'm going to come. And if you get over a certain amount, I'll come. And literally in 10 days, we had 2,000 members. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And you know, that, it has to be said, uh, and I think you've just, you've just kind of echoed this point. It's like the Irish consumer is extremely loyal in general when they yeah. buy into a brand, but also as long as the brand does what it says it does and it excels, yeah. you've kind of got a, a friend for life in many respects. So I so agree. I love Irish women. I love Irish women. And when they're on the, you know, when I'm chatting to them on, you know, I'm on live and now I met so many of them. So I'm putting my products away as I speak. Now I met so many of them um, there. Now they feel familiar when I see them on social. But they're just, you know, there's a passion. And also I think what I love about the Irish women is they really make an effort. So when we did a few evenings, they came and they were, I mean, this happened in Scotland too. It's not just, and it happened in Australia. So I think what I think, what I love about Trini tribe women, but Trini tribe women in Ireland, was we had this evening and everyone was dressed up sequentially. It was Kennedy, Joanne Hines, you know, they were all just channeling their sort of inner goddess. Um, and I just, I love that. I really love that. So speaking of your canine goddess, is there yeah. anything that you've learned or any lesson you can take from Lily, which you kind of think, do you know what? I need to be more of that or when, when business is tough, or when sales are rough, or when you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, this is what I can learn from Lily. I don't know if I learned from Lily, but I think that like in any situation, I remember when the Dogs Trust made this campaign to take dogs into hospitals, you know, for people who were going through very traumatic operations or for the kids, just to be able to stroke an animal and feel the, the healing that comes through your body when you do that. And I think in a way that when, you know, Lila, I'm sort of running around like crazy. And what Lila will do is she will use Lily and she'll say, mommy, stroke Lily. Mm. Even if she's doing this inadvertently, Darren, and she kind of, my daughter is bloody smart, but like, then I'll just say, oh, Lila, I'm on the phone. She'll then stroke Lily. And I'll just start stroking Lily. And you feel calmer. And you feel oh, yeah. that kind of, then they feel calm. You feel calm. It's an unbelievable relationship with a dog, you know? How do you feel about people who don't like dogs? Can you, tr- can you trust someone who doesn't like dogs? I'll tell you what we have in the household, which is quite funny. Charles's daughter, Phoebe, has a lovely cat called Ridley. And even though Lily was kind of here first, you know, we realized that Ridley and the Lily didn't particularly get on. But it wasn't the classic Lily chasing the cat. Lily was totally petrified. Ridley, <laughs> like whenever she's coming around a corner, Ridley is there with a paw going like this. <laughs> and Lily will quiver at the bottom of the stairs. Can she cross the kitchen table? Can she get out to the loo? Terrified. I mean, cats are so clever. And you know, speaking of which, I have to, this little fella wants me to pick him up. Oh, look. Little mouse. I mean, is he a teacup? He's a teacup, yeah. He's, one point, he's like 1.6 kilos. Can you travel with him everywhere? So here's the thing, I, I can travel around Dublin with him, but he doesn't leave Ireland because I can bring him to the shops and I oftentimes cycle on my bicycle with I have a little kind of crossbody bag and he sticks his head out. Yeah. I, I never got him a pet passport because in order to go, I remember at the time looking into it, in order to bring him to the UK, yeah. I would have had to get him a, give him a rabies yeah. jab. 
Yeah. And the vet at the time told me that the minimum dosage was pretty much the same for a dog 10 times his size. So she kind of said, unless you really need to, I would recommend against. So I never did. And I'm very lucky in the sense that my parents will look after him when I'm gone away, when I travel. And listen, that's the thing. I mean, responsible pet ownership, you, I mean, we all know it's so important. What do you do when you go on holidays? Can you bring Lily with you or? So um, with Honey, I used to do that. She would travel, you know, I've got pictures of her in front of the Eiffel Tower, in front of the Alps, in front of the Matterhorn, in front of Mont Blanc, climbing up Mont Blanc, everything. And so, I used to go a lot more to a house I have in the mountains in France and we'd go by car and it was really easy to bring honey back and forth. Since then, I don't go to that house so much. And when I go, I go for a weekend so I wouldn't drive. And so we don't take Lily. And Lily is really, I just don't think that she would be necessarily a great traveler. She's gone occasionally to the countryside, which she kind of likes, but you know, she's very happy lying on the sofa. But I had, I've got to tell you a very funny story with honey. I mean, I know this is not relevant, but this was like, there was, when I had honey years ago and I decided to get my, you know, when you get your first dog mm -hmm. um, and it's like, you've always had your parents' dog, which has been your dog. Your parents really fed it, shat it, ate, did everything. And you just loved it. And then that responsibility of that first dog. So I got the first dog when I started to work for myself and I was making what not to wear. And it was like my, I knew I'd always want to get a dog. And that the first day that I became self-employed, I literally called my mum up and I said, mommy, I want to get a dog. So I got honey. And she'd been very sort of tormented when she was little, but I knew I needed to also find somebody to walk her when I couldn't because I knew she needed really good exercise. So I went in the park looking for a good dog walker and I checked them all out and I thought, who's treating the dogs well? Who's letting them off the lead? Who right. knows their dogs? You know, I did this kind of research. And I saw this woman with this sort of blonde hair, quite blousy, bit of red lip, about sort of 60. And I just noticed she talked these dogs like they were her children. So I went up to her and I said, excuse me, do you do dog walking? Do you have space? And she said, I'll have to come and interview you. <laughs> okay so then next day she came to my flat and she said so how long have you had um honey and why did you get her and why can't you walk her all this kind of stuff so in the end she agreed to walk honey and then after about a year she said to me i'm doing a little um a little party for my dogs and um can i borrow your secretary because i want to write some invitations so i said yes you can so she then um i got this invitation it said dinner, dog club, the Carlton Towers Hotel, 8 p.m. the rib room. My first thought was, that's going to cost her 10 grand. <laughs> so I turn up and there's like four tables of 10 each. And there's, a, I mean, Darren, you can't imagine the mixture of people there. There was like this glamorous woman who sat next to me and she lived in Curzon Street, but she was definitely a very high-end lady. Right. And, um, and, you know, a little... <laughs> And it just, you know, when she was busy with her clients, she needed the dog walker. <laughs> then there was, there was like Prince Charles' secretary. There was Madam so-and-so. There was Lord so-and-so. There was, you know, the Duke of this. I mean, it was just, it was just. And then there was all her family from the East End. It was so funny. And at the end, she had an award ceremony. She said, all right, the, you know, and we all brought pictures of our dogs. And we'd say, oh, this is my dog. This is my dog. And then at the end, she said, um, okay, we've got a, um, the award ceremony. So the dog who, you know, was always picked up on time is, is, you know, Henry and the dog of this. And then I was like thinking, Oh, nothing for honey. She's too new. Oh. And then she said, my most inspiring dog this year is honey Woodall. And I was like, oh. it was like, it was like Lila got the, the drama prize. So I, I was thinking what for? And she went, 
I'll tell you a story. I was in High Park in Gensen Gardens and I fell. She was like this stage about 73. I fell and I had all my dogs there and I'd been speaking to the Duke a while ago. She was very good friends with the Duke of Gloucester. Okay, they used to walk their dogs together. And um, chalk and cheese. And she said, and Honey knew, because it was very early in the morning, that I was friends with Duke. And she ran off and she pulled at his coat and barked. And he realised that it was a, it's a Margie dog. So came back and she'd fallen and he helped her up. And it was all, and so Honey saved the day. So I, she got top prize. Everyone... Clapping, but being a bit envious. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I want to meet Margie. Okay, so then the story goes further. It's going to take you forever and you'll probably cut it out, but it is a funny story. So then, why in the movie? And then all I knew about Margie is that she lived in Ealing and she had Billy, who was her very alcoholic partner, who was an accountant. He used to do something with Ealing comedies. And she never really spoke much about her life. She spoke about her dad, who was deaf and dumb, and that was about it. But I could never understand, like, she charged seven pounds a day or something about how she could afford these. And then the next year it was at Scott's. And then the next year it was, you know, it was like this big dinner and it was then 60 people and then it was half the restaurant. I was like, oh my God. So why do we go forward three or four years? And I'm with Elizabeth Hurley in Mustique and I'm lying on a chaise lounge with her makeup artist. And we're talking and somehow she, I said, you know, what's your dad do? And she said, oh, he ran something called Lee Lighting, which was a, a lighting studio in like Kensal Rise or something. And it was like when Ealing Comedies, it was all that time. And weirdly, and I said, Ealing, oh yes, I, I have my dog lives in Ealing. And she goes, what's her name? And I went, Margie Ellis. And she went, you're kidding. And I went, no. And she went, do you know about Margie Ellis? And I went, she said, Margie Ellis was in love with my dad. And when she was little, she'd take me to Harrods and buy me little red dresses. And she would always be behind the bar entertaining the clients. When my dad had a big client, she would be topless behind the bar. And, you know, beautiful woman, blonde, fantastic. And her dad was a greengrocer who owned lots of greengrocers in Clarendon Road. And he was deaf and dumb. And he, but he had somehow managed to get all these greengrocers. And anyway, he died in like 1964 and he left her two million quid. What? And she, yeah, and she lived in this tiny little cottage in Ealing. And when she died, she hadn't spent any of it and it had grown up. She left it all to the um, Deaf and Dumb Society. That's incredible. I mean, listen, as far as dog stories go, that's pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie to you, Trini. <laughs> oh, Trini, like, I think on that note, that's where we should wrap up. One, one last question, though. Yeah. What, if anything, do you think humanity could learn from Lily? Darling, that's like humanity can learn a lot more from many people and dogs and everything. You know, it's like, what do you learn from Lily? I don't know. I think, I think... I mean, from Harry, it's to nap more. You know it's unconditional love. Oh. That's what we can learn from dogs, is unconditional love. And on that note, Trini and Lily, thank you so much for joining me here and Harry on The Secret Life of Celebrity Pets. Thank you so much for listening to The Secret Life of Celebrity Pets with me, Darren Kennedy. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed my chat with Trini, please leave us a positive review and five stars. Plus, if you have any questions you'd like me to answer, leave them in the review section and I'll do my very best to get back to them. Next week, my very special guest will be Amy Huberman and her pooch, Phoebe. And in case you missed them, my chats with writer Elizabeth Day and Love Island's Laura Whitmore are already out, so enjoy. Until next Sunday, bye.